Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from across the pond, which really isn't that far away, is Mr. Parascience, the gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons. You're going to run out of breath one day doing that intro, you know. I could, I very well could. <laughs> Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? Uh, better than nothing. Oh, see, Mr. Happy. I thought tonight, the way you started that intro, I thought we were going to have, like, Mr. Happy Ron tonight. Oh, I am so happy. Yeah. Anyways, this is kind of an unusual show. You're listening to yeah. Ghost International right here on Tojanet, Parex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And uh, this is your brilliant idea, so why don't you take the lead in this? Well, I don't know whether we should rename it Ghost Chronicles The Next Generation or whether it's going to be like Jeremy Kyle or Jeremy Springer and help help my dad's a ghost hunter. We, we, don't, <laughs> we don't know that over the state, so that was totally lost on us. What, you don't have Jeremy Springer? And you do have Jeremy Kyle in the states? No, no, no. You do? No. You def- you de- anyway. Before Christmas, we had our, the, the real power behind the Ghost Hunters. Um, we had St. Jan and we had Catherine. And we know uh, how well that went. Yeah, I'm still, I've still got the bruises to prove it. Um, and we thought that, you know, start the new year, um, we would start with the next generation. Uh, both Ron's son and my daughter are accomplished Ghost Hunters in their own right. And hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully we've taught them something. So uh, if I welcome, first of all, Ron Jr. Hello. And Helen Elizabeth. Hello. There you go. So there's, there's um, the next generation of ghost hunters. So do you want to, uh, would you like to fire some questions from your side to this side and then we'll bat them back? Well, seeing as you don't have Jeremy say, Kyle. You know, first let me say that... Uh, you guys got got it all over there as far as the accent. Ron, mini me, Ron the second is you know his voice compared to Helen's and Elizabeth's is you know with that accent we're blown away. So I mean we got no nothing to stand on. So you've got the edge already. We can tell you that. Oh, but right. uh, you know I'm really surprised that either one of them actually uh, took the challenge to go on the air because uh, I'm sure. Uh, it hasn't been a great, uh, you know, growing up with a ghost hunt dad. Ooh. Now, well, Helen started when she was four years old. And uh, so, but anyway, why am I telling you that? <laughs> Helen, what's it like being, being growing up with a ghost hunting dad? It's been interesting. <laughs> it's, it's taught me not to be scared of the things in my wardrobe. <laughs> so... <laughs> I can't really complain. <laughs> well, you went on your first ghost hunt when you were four, didn't you? I believe I did. I can't really remember it. 
But well, I, yeah, well, you wouldn't remember your first one, but you've been you've been to some pretty scary places, and uh, you've you've been on I mean, lots and lots of ghost four, hunts. Four years old, Stephen. Would you give her an EMF binky? Um, we we actually back then we did use EMF meters, and actually back then Helen, well, she was a little bit older than before <coughs> when she started taking measurements, but you know she used to do everything everybody else did. She would uh, make the same observations, and uh, she would actually. What Helen was particularly good at, and I'm hope, I hope she doesn't mind me saying, Helen has a, a, a natural gift for um, perhaps putting psychics on the spot and calling them. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't you, don't you, Helen? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, you know the the, uh, the the benefit of youth, I guess uh, that that. You know, they can say the sort of things that we would love to say sometimes. Oh, I see. I well, I remember one particular occasion we were on an investigation and uh, we had a, an amateur medium with us. Uh, actually, we hadn't invited this person. We were sort of, I, I, I kind of, you know, we were sort of put in a position where she had to, she had to be there. And it was her only experience of mediumship prior to that night was obviously watching Derek Akora uh, on TV. So she modelled her performance exactly like Derek's. Um, and it, there was a there was a quiet pause in the proceedings, and this little voice to one side of me whispered, "Dad, she's rubbish." <laughs> Just loud enough for everybody to hear. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, Dave's wisdom. You know what's funny is is my son didn't start at four years old. He started much, 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 much. And so, Ron, I mean, how was it for you? I mean, you know, your, your, your crazy-ass dad decided to do ghost hunting, and, uh, you know, what were your original thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, I've always been interested, but this difference between watching it on TV saying, yeah, that'd be cool, and actually doing it. So I sandbagged you as long as I could, but you're my dad, so eventually I had to go. But actually, the first investigation was quite interesting. Plus, um, Ghost Project 1.0 was kind of, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so what was your first investigation? 1859 House of Methuen. Oh, awesome. Yeah, back when uh, John and Hope owned it. Right. And uh, John passed away, by the way. So Yeah, I remember you telling me. Hopefully he's listening on the other side, so. But uh, what, what really, I mean, what, you know, what, really turned you on at that time as far as ghost hunting that happened at the 1859 house what what was it that said okay this isn't half bad well after we got there and we set up we first went to the fifth floor um for people that haven't seen the building or know of it um it's a five-story building the restaurant's on what's the middle build uh floor but and that's on a street level. But the two levels below it, the furthest one down is also on a street level because it's on a hill. And you have two levels above. So we went up to the top floor and we're investigating there. There's no power, no nothing. It's all falling apart. And didn't really realize that at the time until we went down out of that floor to the floor below to move on. It's just, 
you go to the dentist, you got to have an x-ray taken. They put that lead apron on you. Right. Like that, the feeling of having that lead apron on you. And I was like, wow. Okay, what is that? So, I mean, something was going on. So, so to you, it was a feeling more than anything measured, anything seen, anything heard? Um, well, that, that was enough to pick my interest. I mean, you, you know me. I'm, I am skeptical. I do believe, but I am going to put anything I see through the ringer, whether I experience it myself or especially someone I don't know giving me a photo or whatever. Um, but it was enough to pick my interest and say, okay, there's, you know. Something. Actually, that, that was something that came across because I know during my visit over there back in September, we did a couple of investigation sessions together, Ron, Junior. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying at the time to you, Dad, um, I, and I, in fact, I did say it to you too, that um, you, you, you appeared on the surface to be more critical than, than Ron Senior. Um, and a better, I was going to say a better investigator, but a, a more, <laughs> no, actually I was right the first time, a better investigator. There you go. <laughs> uh, but cer- cer- certainly, um, you, you are a critical thinker. And you have to be, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I mean, Essentially, what we're doing is we're spending our weekends looking for invisible people. You gotta leave ego at the door, and you gotta apply critical thinking. Well, you left half of that out. I'll you with that. Invisible people in the dark. Well, yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, they're shadow people. Yeah. Well, that's all right. So, I mean, ha- go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just gonna because. There is a difference because Helen started a lot younger and she had to go through. There's a kind of um, issue uh, in a lot of ghost hunting that children shouldn't be involved. And I know it's, you know, it's probably a little bit contentious. Um, Taking a four, five, you know, six, seven year old along. So I, you know, Helen, what was it like as a child going on a ghost hunt? I don't know. It was... It it was quite scary to start with, because, you know, sitting in a dark room all night, it's a natural fear of the dark, but after a while I got used to it, and I don't know, I quite enjoyed going on them. What was the things you enjoyed? I mean, was it just the, I, I know you used to like exploring, but, you know, what else was it? excitement yeah it was like you never knew what was going to happen i mean you could sit in a dark room all night and nothing would happen but you could sit in a dark room and something could happen and you never knew did you ever i mean what what would you say that your scariest moment was if there was one i mean i i actually don't know the answer to a lot of these questions because you know helen was a member of the team so we just took the notes uh, on face value and it, it wasn't something that I, I don't think we ever actually sat down and talked talked about you know the ghost hunts so these are these are interesting questions for me too um so go on, I think, the scariest moment <laughs> i think the scariest thing that i ever did was a 
Camelettes when I when I had to sit in the warehouse because I was all right and like if it was a room there was like corners you could like sit against and you'd have like a view of the whole room whereas in like the warehouses they were much bigger darker emptier spaces and there was more in there and like more places for things to happen. I think we should just explain that Camelard that Helen's referring to was a it was a, a major shipbuilding yard on the banks of the River Mersey, uh, and the warehouse it was for. In fact, it still is probably the largest single uh, roofed structure in the United Kingdom uh, because they used to build ships inside it. Uh, I guess there's something probably similar at uh, Norfolk, uh, wherever it is in Virginia, the naval shipyards up there. In Portsmouth, too. Yeah. Uh, so you can imagine the size of this building. Um, so it was a, a pretty intimidating space anyway. Wait, when uh, you, you think know. about that, Steve, I mean, thinking just myself, I don't think I've ever had that experience on my own. But, uh, you know, she's right. I mean, if you're in a room, you, you've got a wall, you, you can see everything in your your uh, field of vision. But if, if you're in a, a warehouse, I mean there are definitely blind spots that you cannot see. So you're just relying on your, your instincts to, of whatever's behind you or to the right. I think that's a, an amazing feeling, really. I mean, that, that would be interesting. I'll have to try that. It's, it's actually what, you know, you've raised an intro. Oh, you and Helen have both raised a very interesting point, and it's something that we do um, when we're talking about uh, investigating or we're running investigations both for the team and for the public it's there's a phrase we borrow from mediums keep yourself grounded and what we tend to do is we we encourage people to position themselves so that they are um back up against something because it does make them more relaxed whereas if you're st uh, sat with your back to an open door or your back to a giant open space you're more, much more naturally uncomfortable and so, you know, your senses are different. You're behaving differently because, you know, you've got much more adrenaline. And so we always say, you know, borrow it from the mediums, ground yourself by putting yourself physically against something, even if it be a, be a pillar. Not only that, it also, uh, you know, it gives you a complete 360, you know, vision. You can see everything. It cuts down on fraud because there's no one behind you to get throw pebbles or whatever. You know what I mean? They can't do a lot of things. You're right there. They're all with you. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Ron, what, what was your scariest uh, experience? Ron? Uh, ghost hunting? Yeah. Not growing, not living with me. I know that. Uh, that, that had some scary moments, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, put an NBA we'll, on we'll, that. No, we'll come to that. We'll come to them after the break. No. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Hmm. If not scary, what was the most uncomfortable? I guess would be even a better word. Um, unsettling. Probably the stone house in Haverhill. First time I ever dealt with something really negative, and that place was certainly negative. So that was a little bit of an eye opener. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, the Stone House, of course, is one of the uh, episodes in my uh, book, Ghost Chronicles. But uh, it was a uh, daycare center that had uh, lots of lots of uh, things going on that were 
unexplainable. And they ended up calling us in to investigate. And we ran into, and, and Steve's going to love this, uh, demonic energy in there. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was it was pretty nasty crap. And a lot of things uh, really happened. In fact, they were driven out of there. Uh, and this was a government program, by the way. And uh, they were eventually driven out of there. So uh, it was uh, it was an interesting investigation. I uh, that talk of demonic entities has reminded me of uh, developing interest, I guess, because I know Helen is is a great fan of um, fantasy TV, uh, supernatural, and uh, those Love sort of programs. Show. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what. Ron Senior and I will just slope off somewhere, and you and Helen chat about supernatural. Um, but I mean, does that does that come, does that stem from um, you know the paranormal interest, or, or you know, is it hand in hand? Is it something which developed first, which came first, Helen? Um, I suppose I really got into supernatural because of all the ghost hunting and everything that you looked into, and then I saw it on. TV one night and they were, I think they were hunting um, a spirit and when I, I don't know, it just fascinated me and then since then I've been hooked on it because it does remind me of the way I was kind of brought up. I hope we didn't fight the bloody things. Well, no. <laughs> well, it might have worked better. <laughs> we just burn some bones. Yeah, it might have been much more entertaining. <laughs> and a lot well, more illegal. Two... Oh, well, you've got the two supernatural fans. Just chat amongst yourselves, guys. Well, you know, it's interesting, Stephen. I know you don't believe in the, the demonic stuff. And, uh... Hang, you're jumping to, to assumptions again well, based, on, I... based on whatever. I can tell you right now, I mean, and there's a new movie that just came out called The uh, Bridgewater Triangle, and... There was a TV show out on Travel Channel uh, called Mysteries and Monsters, and there was an episode on the Pugwudgies. And, uh, Pugwudgies. Yep, and the vintage, the video of that is is actually of, of me and uh, Chris Balzano actually tackling Maureen as she becomes uh, possessed by one of these uh, elemental creatures. And uh, that's all over the freaking place it's on the internet it's everywhere else and and Ron, you were you were there you what is i mean what is your thoughts on that i, I mean was that nasty or is it are we just making that up um that was nasty and bridgewater triangle is an interesting area and it is kind of it is very interesting how native american folklore kind of intersects with what we experienced that night Right. Um, you have the legends of the Puckwudgies, these little squat, blue-skinned, pot-bellied troll things that used to be semi-benevolent, now are malevolent. And if you're walking in the woods, you see a light off the path, you go follow it, you get further and further in the path until you vanish, which sounds kind of like the folklore for the Fae in the Celtic world. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like fairies over here. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, I, both of which would be f from the elemental plane, if you believe in that sort of thing. Uh, but, I mean, there is, uh, you know, two different cultures, two different continents have kind of the same thing happening. And the Freetown State Forest is definitely interesting 
because the Indian reservation part of it had a totally different just feel to it than the rest of the forest. Of course, the rest of the forest was also a um, active body dumping ground for a satanic cult. And so, I mean, it was, it was very weird. Where I'm going with this entire train of thought, I don't know right now. But it's... <laughs> 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 I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, it was just the throwaway line there where they just body dump for satanic cults. <laughs> no, there was an active satanic cult in the 80s in that area that um, they found some very sketchy stuff in that forest. But, I mean, it's, it, I mean, there was something about it. I mean, they, there's a very good book on it by Chris Belzano, Dark uh, Forest, which I just so happen to have here with me. That talks about it, you know. It just wasn't one cult. It was also, you know, Wiccans that go there for ceremonies. Obviously, the Wampanoag Indians. But I mean, there's something about that place. But I mean, to get back to where I was before I went off on a tangent. I mean, it was whatever it was that channeled into Maureen was non-intelligent, animalistic, and I'm not going to say completely malevolent, but it wasn't benevolent. It was, it was. That's all I can say. And the interesting thing about it is we, we did get some video evidence, which is uh, kind of neat. I mean, the footage they're actually showing on uh, on TV now is uh, was taken by Andrew Lake at the time. And uh, while the attack was going on and, and over, you could see this little creature on the side, which is, is kind of interesting after he has driven out of uh, Maureen. And so that is out of it, you know, came out of nowhere. And um, the other thing on it is, is this uh, video was, was also recorded and used in uh, the book, uh, picture yourself ghost hunting in, in the uh, accompanying uh, uh, DVD that went with that. So which I somehow became the intro to. Yeah, which actually you're the intro of it. <laughs> so I mean, uh, let's let's talk a little bit with uh, Elizabeth. Have, have you run uh, run into anything like that? Any dark negative energy or or any any type of uh, energy that you weren't really really comfortable with? I can't say I have really. I, I mean, I've had bad feelings, and when I'm sat in dark rooms, you feel like someone's watching you. Or... There's going to be something to pop out, but I've never really had like a bad feeling, like a feeling that's like made me uncomfortable. Oh, okay. That's a good thing. There's a question that pops into my mind though, while Ron was telling me uh, about, you know, the, the, uh, this idea. Uh, No, uh, about the, about just generally about mediums being possessed by these evil elemental. Figures, uh, spirits, and then they're, you know, then they, they come out of the trance, and then they're back to normal again. Now, you know, I've I've I've, I've read quite a lot about exorcism, and it, you know, to, to remove a demonic possession is you know, usual times, according to the to exorcists, quite a, quite a, a battle, quite a struggle, and yet, you know, we we see these mediums uh, on TV and on investigations encountering these evil demonic. Uh, spirits, elementals, call them what you will. And yet they just, you know, shriek a bit, throw the head back, and then, you know, come forward and all is gone. 
that's, that's not exactly right, Steve. I mean, you said you've read about stuff. I've actually done it. Uh, no, I'm just I'm just comparing the difference between exorcisms with the Catholic Church. Yeah, I'm comparing the difference you know, between I've every single one. In, and granted, there are ones like, for instance, the uh, the original one there, uh, the Exorcist was read. I mean, that was a, a hell bit one. But if you believe in demonic spirits, you you realize there is also a hierarchy of spirits according to the Catholic Church, and you may not necessarily be dealing. De- well, I'm sure you're not dealing with Satan. Uh, but there are different hierarchies, and some of them uh, are not as as tough. <laughs> I hate to say that word um, as others. So it, there is variation, and there are there there are. Times. Yeah, but at the same time, Ron, I've been on investigations where the medium is actually claimed to be being possessed or entranced by Satan himself. Yeah, and within uh, within so a minute, the, within oh. a, yeah, you see the problem. That's the the, the problem, or or he's a bad nivy. Um, you know, they they don't have minor spirits on on investigations, specifically media ones. Um, they have big possessions with you know, Beelzebub himself making yeah, an appearance. Well. Yeah, you've got to put on a show. You've got to put on a show, and. I always wonder why, you know, a medium must have a very special ability that perhaps they could teach the Catholic uh, exorcism ministers, the deliverance uh, ministers, because these guys, you know, reading the accounts of proper exorcisms and exorcists Mm -hmm. that go back hundreds of years, these are not events that are taken lightly and are usually involved in a fairly lengthy struggle over a period of days. Now, that may that not necessarily the immediate exorcism ceremony itself, but part of the the process of the general exorcism, exactly. and yet a medium seems to be able to blink, have someone hug them, and the job done. They've got rid of it. They've thrown I, it off. You're talking about some, but I'm I'm sure there are. To, I've never seen a medium permanently possessed to require an exorcism by a priest. Mm, okay. I'm right. just applying. I'm just applying Ron, Ron Junior's critical thinking though to the to the mix, because we're de- what we're dealing with is two people who ostensibly are saying the same. I am possessed, entranced by a demonic entity. One can't get rid of it, and yet the psychic medium can get rid of it more or less to order, or from you know somebody walking up and going, "Come forward, come forward, and give me a hug." Well. And then again, you, is it really a demonic entity that they're really doing, or is it just a, a negative spirit that, you know, somebody is just, a, you know, a pain in the well, ass? Well, we're, le- we're left with the subjective uh, account that they are telling us it's a demonic entity. Right. Well, I mean, to each their own. Well, well so which part of I, it do we believe? If I can interject one thing, I though. I believe case by case. That's what you believe. If I can interject, just to go back to the stone house, and which kind of got this whole thing rolling, yeah, we, we said it was something negative there. Too late. All right. We'll, we'll continue that after the break. Anyways, uh, we, there's also a, a huge question in the uh, the chat room that we have to deal with as well. So uh, we're coming up to the break right now. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Mr. Parascience, the Parsons, Cleveland, Stone Bankers, and our special guest, Amy, on for the second just a third, and help right back. Welcome to Talking Ed Radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Chronicles International forward slash the next generation. <laughs> you're listening live on Togginet, Para X, the Ghost Channel, or possibly not live because you're listening to one of the podcasts. Our guests tonight are, as I said earlier, the next generation. We have Ron Jr. and we Hello. have Helen. El- Hello, and we have Helen Elizabeth, uh, respectively Ron Senior's son and my daughter. And they are both accomplished ghost hunters and hopefully sceptical investigators in their own right. And uh, I can't remember. I got slightly distracted by the chat room during the ad break. And, well, um, you know, right, trying right. to sort out a question about the skull group. So I lost track of where we were before. Okay. Before we get to that question, uh, Ron was finishing up on his thoughts on the stone house and, and other thoughts. So let, let's finish up with that and then we'll take that question on. Okay. Going back to the stone house and I'll make this really quick. And this kind of ties into the whole critical thinking. I was creeped out on that place. Went home, you know, because through communication with Pendulum and the medium, you know, the 
whatever was there claimed to have never lived, so it's non-human. And then I get home, and I have time to sit down and really process. I'm like, hmm, why should I believe it? You know, some idiot on the street walks up to me, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm like, hmm, hey, you're stupid. <laughs> so, oh, it's all what you want to, if the living can lie to you, why can't the dead? Agreed. But, well, we're not going to get into that point. So let, let's take on the question, and uh, uh, this is from, uh, actually, you want to handle that? That's more up your alley, Steve. Which uh, which question are we dealing with? Because at the moment we're it was the uh, scully thing. Uh, the skull. Uh, well, skull was a group was a, a, a group here in the UK um, in the ni- early nineties uh, that involved investigators from the SPR, although they weren't originally part of the group. Um, and the group were making a lot of claims, uh, some of which included. Uh, the the projection of uh, thought onto uh, into images on sealed can- canisters of film. Uh, they they produced uh, a device based on the germanium diode, very similar to the Raudiva diode, which they called the trans-dimensional communicator receptor, which was what? essentially an e- <laughs> EVP box, a ghost. It was actually an early form of ghost box. Um, there were they, they invited investigators from the SPR to to uh, observe and to, I guess, sort of kind of control some of the experiments. It's still a highly contentious uh, topic to this day because some of the experiments um, appear on the, on the surface of it to be you know, really quite intriguing stuff. But other investigators have re-looked at it and have identified potential areas where, well, I mean, certainly where the control mechanisms that were in place over the seances of the Skull Group were imperfect. And you've got this inevitable war of words between the Skull Believers and the Skull Skeptics. And I, I think it's like that with a lot of paranormal stuff. Um, you know, somebody else has suggested that why doesn't Steve believe in evil? Well, I haven't said I don't believe in evil, but I question everything. Uh, I don't accept anything immediately at face value. Uh, So I certainly don't not believe in evil. That's a double So that means you believe in evil. (laughs) Believe me. I'm not saying that... It it depends on the nature of the evil, doesn't it? I mean, do I believe that people get uh, possessed by evil spirits? Well, the Catholic Church, who have been studying it far longer than I, um, they maintain, you know, an expertise, and they also maintain a, depart- a specific department designed to deal with it. And I'm sure that they wouldn't just do that uh, for fun. And I'm sure that they're not just doing it to waste their own and everybody else's time. So I am intrigued by it. I I am far from an expert. I am certainly not an exorcist. Um, I have no desire to, to, to so be. But I have encountered lots of people who claim possession or, encount- or, or claim that they have encountered evil entities. And in every case, I found that to be wanting. So um, my own experience leads me to you know, cast out over a lot of people's claims of mm. 
evil encounters, but not not the concept itself. So, Helen, I was going to drag Helen in on this because we're getting down into this supernatural thing. And, I, you know, I know both Ron Jr. and Helen follow, you know, far more. I mean, I remember Helen as a growing up watching Charmed and, you know, witches fighting demons. And, so I was going to bring them in on it because, you know, it's, it's sort of the way that Hollywood and the media have taken it. And I don't watch these programs. Hello. Yeah. What question am I answering? Uh, the question the question about does evil exist in the real world, not just on television? I think it could do because well, you get all these claims about, you know, like good spirits and people doing good. And for every like thing there's got to be like the opposite. It's like you can't believe in one thing and not believe in the other. That's a good point. Very good. You can't say for with religion, for example, you can't believe in God and not believe in the devil. So you can't really believe there's good and then not believe there's evil. But that's all whether you believe in there's good. That's, that's an excellent point, and, and and I agree with you. You can't have. You, you know, you can't have light without darkness because there's nothing to compare it to. So you, you have that yin and yang philosophy through, all through uh, science, really. I mean, there's, there's protons, there's antiprotons. There's, it's always the same, always one and the opposite. So it could exist even though we could never prove it. Wow, we're dead here. But like I said, though, that would all depend. If you don't believe there's good, then there's no evil. It's all about personal preference. I personally do believe there is evil things out there. But I think I'm influenced by what I watch on TV. But we're all influenced by something, right? We all, I mean, we all get our thoughts from somewhere. It just doesn't, you know, they just don't pop in our head. We do get influenced by our environments, our upbringing. You know, it's possible. But, you know, I wanted to go back to the ghost hunting bit again. I mean, what is your favorite part of ghost hunting? What what do you enjoy the most of it? Helen? It's kind of a rush because it's like I could experience something for the first time and it could be like a breakthrough in something. I feel like I'm actually achieving something even by just sitting in a dark room. I mean, like ghost hunting does help a lot of people. Like you get people who are like worried that the house is like possessed Mm -hmm. and you could go around there and... Just that could put them at ease, and that's all they could need. Can ghost hunters also do any harm, Helen? Yeah, ghost hunters can do a lot of harm. They can they could go around to someone who just thinks their house is haunted by their nan and tell them it's haunted by Satan, and then they have a mental breakdown and move out. So, <laughs> depends well, on... They can end up burning down a historic structure. Yeah. 
Or disposing of the body in the woods. <laughs> or burning the bones. But, I mean, it's true. I mean, Ron, the same thing. What, what, what do you enjoy in ghost hunting? What, to you, is the most uh, interesting thing in ghost hunting? Um, getting access to places that the average person's not going to get to go to at times of the day that no one else would be able to get to. Uh, we've gotten to some pretty awesome places, gotten a lot of nice access, and just you know, the opportunities from that and just the opportunities that you might experience something. There you go. So, uh, Helen, I'm going to go back to you again because Steve's gone quiet on me. Is uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just wait, I'm just waiting for the inevitable, what was uh, the most haunted question, because it's going to happen. Well, sooner or later. But, uh, <laughs> Helen, uh, do you go ghost hunting without your father? I've never been on a ghost hunt without my dad. Okay. I'd like to start doing it by myself. And I'd like to become better than my dad is. There you go. Ooh. Because I, I, I have his knowledge and then... I've got, obviously I've been doing it since I was so young, so I'm a bit more open-minded, so I could get more knowledge. There's a challenge. (laughs) Actually, do you know, that would be the greatest thrill for me, would be to discover that uh, Helen, or indeed uh, her two brothers, becomes a better ghost hunter than me. Well, we already know that my son is, so I've reached that pinnacle. (laughs) (laughs) You had a head start, though. So, I mean, Helen, you, if you, that happened, you know, you, the uh, New York Times would be calling you the platinum standard in ghost hunting. Yeah. I'd love that. I'd, <laughs> I'd get that framed and then rub it in my dad's face. I'd be, I, I, you wouldn't have to rub it in my face, Helen. I'd be the proudest dad in the world if you came up with that one. So when you do go ghost hunting, are there times that you actually disagree with your father's methods or, or something that he's done during a ghost hunt? I think on the first few ghost hunts I went on, I didn't, I, I've got to say, I didn't like sitting in the dark rooms. Mm-hmm. But then my my dad made the point that there's no point sitting in a dark room if something's happening during the day. So he kind of beat me to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to point out that most of the locations, um, you know, because people are going to t- say in a minute, but you always say put the lights on. What Helen's referring to is particular locations where Helen was going uh, because Helen didn't get involved in private cases or uh, every case. Uh, so she was somewhat limited by the number of locations and the ones that she predominantly went to. There was no electricity, hence it was dark. Or they were outside. Or they were outside. Or they were f- the fourth dungeon down in a Scottish in a in Rosalind Castle. Yeah, I, I think the worst one was the church. Really. Yeah, because we, we used to go, it was mainly in the winter and it'd be really dark and cold. And when you're dark and cold, your mind starts playing tricks on you. But then when we when we went during the day, 
my dad, I, I don't know the full story because I was young, but all I can remember is him saying something weird happened when I ran around the church. And that was like, that happened during the day, so. What, what's he talking about there? Now, what Helen, what Helen's referring to is a is a an event that we've never been able to fully explain or understand. Um, Helen was around about eight or nine at the time, if memory serves me rightly. And uh, there were Helen had come along because her mum was at work, and so she uh, it was an early evening. And we were there specifically because reports from um, historical reports from uh, previous witnesses. This, this time of day and this sort of period of, of the year were important for people having having sightings and unusual experiences. And while we were we were setting up some of the uh, cameras, uh, Helen was was being an eight or nine year old and was was chatting away and and, and get, getting a little bit under our feet. So we had this idea of um, give ourselves two or three minutes while we set everything up. I I said to Helen, "Go on, see how fast you can run around the church." <laughs> so, so, so Helen enthusiastically. Yeah, well, that was that was what the plan was, you see, um, and through the long grass. So we thought we'd have a couple of minutes. Um, Helen ran round the first corner, and near instantaneously to the perception of the two of us that we stood there, she came round the the fourth corner, which meant that she'd gone round the building in about five seconds. Or so it appeared. Now, what was interesting is at the time, um, as, as I was telling Helen to, to set off, I lit a cigarette. Um, and the cigarette hadn't even begun to burn when Helen appeared around the corner. Now, we did, we did the obvious, you know, had she found a shortcut that we weren't aware of. Uh, but what, what was also intriguing later... Uh, we, we at the time we just put that down to one of those moments, you know, we where you lose track of time momentarily. I'm sure everybody's done it on a drive or sitting, you know, staring out the window, and all of a sudden an hour's gone by, and or you think, you know, a couple of minutes has gone by. In reality, it's been a lot, you know, a lot longer, or a lot shorter. But the same evening, uh, a little while later. Uh, we had an incident where, again, we thought a tape had been running for an hour. Um, in fact, it had run the entire length of the tape. Um, but the timers on the machine only showed a 17-minute run. And that 17-minute run correlated exactly with our wristwatches. And I know we've had Anne on before talking about time slips. Um, and we've never really fully understood what happened, whether it was a perception problem on our on our part, um, or whether Helen did indeed complete the world's fastest 400 metres. <laughs> but that was a that was a weird one. So, I mean, there are things we can't explain. I mean, of course there are. Talking about run, I mean, have you, all the investigations you're going to, have you run into things that you can't explain? Um... Trying to think. Well, not, too... not really. I mean, it's. A... I mean, there there have been many investigations you've gone on. I don't know how many would you say. I'd say I've done about 150 investigations. Uh, actually, the, the one thing I can't explain 
would be the first time we did Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thermal Dan and I were up on the balcony of the lighthouse itself, and he had his thermal camera pointed down at the old oil house, and a black and white thermal camera with, you know, obviously gray in between, black, no heat, white heat. There was at the corner of the oil house, a black shape appeared, hovered, and then woof, disappeared. So, I mean, there was a phone ringing. That's a phone call from the dead, believe it or not. That's that's, uh, Maureen. She's psychic, so she knows I'm not on the air. (laughs) But, um... Or Cal trying desperately to get on here. From um, a physics standpoint, I can't explain that. Why would there be suddenly a shaft of cold air appear where there was none and then disappear? Well, the first thing that I'm sure your dad's about to tell you, he's done the thermal imaging course now, is that the thermal image you can't see a gas, so... What you were seeing was uh, uh, that that dark mass must have actually been on the structure itself, not in free space between you and the structure. So it couldn't have been cold air. It must have been. It was mass. I've seen the image. It looks definitely looks like a person standing there. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, It can't. It can't. It can't be a blob of cold air. Right, but there's no there's no structure, and, and the camera we're talking about, we're not talking about a two or three thousand dollar flare camera. This was a uh, fifteen thousand dollar thermal imaging camera. Yeah. So it yeah, was, so, so it, it must have it, there must be a mass because the camera can't see a gas. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's an interesting shot, and it's one of those things that definitely make you go. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, so let me ask you, Steve. What was it like having your daughter on a ghost hunt? It was actually What's pretty up, normal. It was actually pretty normal um, because it was. Um, yeah, yeah. You, know, you're marching all this. Right no, you're well, not muted. Yeah, you're... <laughs> um. It was actually pretty normal, and it it started kind of by accident. I mean, Helen knew what I did, and she liked, you know, she liked hearing some of the stories, um, and it was out of necessity because because her mum was working, and uh, it was a case of you know she either come with me or she stay at home, and we were very very careful about the sort of locations that she went to, but children do get involved in ghosts. I mean, we used to get criticised sometimes by people uh, when we said about Helen coming with us, uh, but. You know, many cases do involve children and youngsters, and they can offer an interesting, different perspective than adults. And Helen did um, regularly give us, you know, that that different insight, that child's insight. She would say things that adults wouldn't say because an adult would necessarily censor their own thoughts and emotions, uh, whereas a child can be much more, I think, much more open and honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. I think a huge advantage, and I would I would always say, you know, providing safety is covered, then I I have no issue at all about youngsters going or joining in investigations, um, none whatsoever. And I think there are there are definite positive advantages 
to the investigation process because of this different perspective, particularly in cases that do involve children or where, so, you know, we're not talking about domestic cases. Many, many locations throughout the United Kingdom, um, the, the witnesses are day trippers, holiday makers to a stately home, to a, to a tourist attraction. And it's been the child who has been amongst the witnesses of the alleged uh, the alleged ghost sighting or the alleged ex- uh, paranormal in- uh, experience. I, so, I know, yeah, have a child there. Yeah, I know we're running out of time, Helen, and and I want to ask you a question. Now, what was your thoughts about your father going on Ghost Haunted, Most Haunted? <laughs> I was I was excited because I've I've always really watched that show because he did, and there was a um incident when I was quite young I'd seen Derek Akora I was very sceptical and I'd done a little drawing of him and then (laughs) and finding out my dad was going on it I I, without bad mouthing the show I've always thought it's a bit faked Mm -hmm. and I knew if my dad went on it he'd put them in their places and it gave me something cool to brag about to my friends. And I still brag about it to this day. <laughs> uh, is an S. Actually, the drawing she's referring to is, um, I think she ended up gifting it to Yvette. She sent it in with me one day. Um, really? And Yvette, I, I, said, I mean, it ended up certainly on the office wall, but it was it was a picture of uh, of Derek uh, sneaking outside for a cigarette, um, and and again, yeah, with Sam lighting it, and again, um, you know, as only a child could, uh, the words "Derek is a loony brain" written across <laughs> the bottom of the picture. Really? <laughs> oh my! <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the, the, these are. It's only it's only what children can get away with, and it's again this idea of a different perception. So, if you've if you've got youngsters, take them ghost hunting. Don't leave them behind and avoid these this over 18s only stuff. Can I just say we've taken children on ghost hunts? It also most children seem to have a fear of the dark and things in their wardrobe and under their bed, but once they know, you know. It's a ghost. They can't really do much unless they possess you. But it kind of taught me I need to be more afraid of the living than I am the dead. (laughs) It helps build the child's, like, mind. (laughs) That's the uh, doorbell, which means pizza from the dead is here, so we've got to wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank uh, Helen uh, Elizabeth so much for coming on the show and giving us perspective of what it's like being having Steve Parsons as your father, the gold standard in And likewise, Ron Jr. for um, showing us the springboard to your better ghost hunting abilities. <laughs> so anyways, I do want to, before I go, I do want to mention one thing. Last, last uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation show, uh, was a televised one, of course, and we do it once a month. And we had uh, uh, the great Biano on, and uh, he did uh, escape stuff. He's a Houdini specialist. And at the end of the show, it was kind of funny. We had uh, the whole crew there, 
and had our pictures taken. Everybody was putting handcuffs on. And then one of the little girls, uh, I say little girl, she's probably about 17, uh, put the handcuffs on. And uh, what was really interesting is that Steve, that uh, the Viano couldn't get them off. And what was more interesting that her parents were there. And what was more interesting, her father was a cop. Uh, so it got <laughs> a little sticky there for a while. But believe it or not, one of the other young ladies was able to use the key and, and get them off. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Anyway. So I want to thank you guys for coming on the shows, and uh, it was really interesting, and, and it was very nice to meet you, uh, Helen Elizabeth, and someday, perhaps in person, it would be cool. Thank you for having me on the show. What, what was that? I'm sorry. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, thank you. And Ryan, thank you so, once again for being on as well. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Okay. It's been our pleasure. And uh, can I just end by wishing myself a happy birthday for tomorrow? Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shameless it is plug. Age. I forget everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shameless plug. Why not? Nobody else does. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I used to always wish Richard Felix my co-host because uh, he and I had the same birthday. It was one day apart. Ah, so, you see. There you go. So I share mine with nobody except actually Martin Luther King. <laughs> and uh, Alistair Crowley. So, uh, anyways. Very nice. Time to go. Good night. God bless, everyone. Good night. God bless. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. Take out.